0: Super stoked to have Distro Kids sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out and I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys and they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered, and heated, and will be throughout the fall and winter. So come through, and big thanks to Produce Row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. at the what is happening everybody welcome back to another episode of the Dan cable presents podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will uh, boost the signal of this thing, help strangers find the podcast, and just a great way to contribute to the sustainability and the growth of this show. Cannot stress the importance of leaving those reviews. If leaving a review feels... A little too daunting to you then you can do something as simple as leaving a comment on an instagram post that seems to fuck with the algorithms and uh, get more visibility on those things if you're not listening on apple you can just hit like follow subscribe wherever you are listening from the podcast is available on spotify now and i've also been releasing some monthly playlists there every first of the month as well as some genre specific playlists so the Spotify profile link will be in the episode notes along with the links for the Dan Cable presents mugs and t-shirts. Hope everybody is doing all right out there. I am feeling extra full and extra baked after, uh, yesterday's Thanksgiving festivities, had a really nice gathering with some friends here at the house, which was awesome. And, uh, yeah man, we had some some good people and some great food. I'm very fortunate that my my girlfriend is an incredible cook all the way around, so that's that's really dope and I made some mashed potatoes. They were they were pretty good. I'll tell you what. I will tell you what. Did the whole hand mashing this year too. No blender. No blender. Someone said don't use a blender. I gave it a shot an absolute game changer. I thought it was going to be a bunch of extra work. It's basically no extra work at all. If you have the correct masher or one of those uh, you know, those baking deals. I don't even know what I'm talking a baking deal. Great. I'm sure everybody I'm sure everybody knows what that is. But anyway, it was it was a nice day and it was actually sunny here in Portland, Oregon, which was uh very cool as well. And I also just got some new speakers and a new cartridge for my turntable. So was spinning lots of vinyl yesterday. Finally had a big gathering of people to get to see the, uh, the record storage unit that my buddy Jeff built for me. So I have this, uh, this kind of record store esque storage unit situation for about three or four hundred of my records so you can kind of cycle through them and whatnot and it's it's been very cool to have especially when people come over it's a, a little more accessible to kind of flip through them instead of having to to get low and and looking at things on their spines so um, just a, uh, a real nice day and even though I become a little more conflicted about what it is that we're actually celebrating with this Thanksgiving holiday. I think it's either way, just a really good excuse to get together with friends and family and introduce people to new folks and whatnot, and just have some, some killer grub together. So I hope you all got to uh, be around some, some good folks this, this week. And I hope that you have as many leftovers as I do because I purposely got way too much turkey to make so that I could eat so many goddamn turkey sandwiches this week. I'm so excited for this weekend. It's going to be a turkey sandwich and pie extravaganza. And uh, we're five minutes into this intro, and we haven't even talked about who the guest is for this week. So College Level is on the podcast, episode 284 I got to chat with the band's guitar player, Alex Smith, when I was out at the Tree Fort Music Festival in Boise, Idaho, a couple months back at the end of September. And this is the final installment of conversations that I had at the 2021 Tree Fort. Stoked to get back there in March of 2022. Get your tickets now. they just announced the the first wave of the lineup and it's filled with some of my favorites including duran jones and the indications who i saw a few years back incredible band uh really excited to see them my cousin's band high pulp will be out there so i'm really excited to get to hang with them out there and uh yeah tree fort just a really cool festival out there in boise so look more into that if it, if it sounds up your alley it's it's definitely worth it's definitely worth checking out but uh these college level dudes were one of the bands i was most looking forward to seeing and uh having the opportunity to chat with at tree fort and the show that they put on at the the Mardi Gras ballroom there in Boise was really great so it was it was cool to finally get to see them live after kind of geeking out on the records for the couple months leading up to Treefort and uh it was cool to get to chat with Alex and I thought he was able to provide a lot of insight into the band dynamics and the songwriting and and just kind of how they operate as a band. Love this dude Taylor's lyrics. They've just got some some great tunes and they got a brand new record called Class Act Shit Show which is now available. At the time we recorded this, it was not yet released, so I hadn't heard the the full album yet, but I've been listening to it quite a bit over the last few days and really dig the tunes on it. Definitely my my favorite collection of tunes from these guys thus far, so would encourage you to check out the entire record, if uh, if you dig what you hear on this episode, add them to your playlist and share them with your friends. We'll uh, feature some tunes from the record and some, some other tunes from the college-level catalog throughout the episode. If you are a Portland, Oregon local and you want to see some free live music, I would encourage you to hit up Produce Row on a Wednesday night from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. or Sundays, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., that late brunch brunch slot over there at Produce Row. Free music over there on the covered, heated patio throughout the fall and the winter. They got great food down there and a good opportunity to bring some kids to see some music. It's definitely an all-ages-friendly situation down there, so that link will be in the episode notes. Singer-songwriter Ronnie Carrier will be there December 1st. We got DJ set from C. White on December 5th and making their monthly appearance, the J.C. Proof Crew. Jeff Chilton, former guest of the podcast, has become a, uh, a fan favorite down there at Produce Row. They always come with this three-piece jazz outfit that is always so much fun. And they're going to be down there every 2nd Monday of the month now, which is awesome. So produce row link and all the other sponsor links will be in the episode notes so that you can keep up with those people. Um, check out the most recent episode of I dig records, which dropped earlier this week in the podcast feed. That is a series that I usually do with my cousin And we do the deep dive on a record, and those come out every other Wednesday. The last few volumes, I've had some guest co-hosts. And this most recent one, I had my buddy Andy Sado, who's a songwriter based out of Denver, Colorado. And we talked about one of his favorite records, which is Randy Newman's 1974 album, Good Old Boys. And that was a really interesting chat and brought up a lot of... Cool social commentary and and just a interesting snapshot in time for for 1974 and the satirical nature of what Randy Newman brings to the table. So check those out every other Wednesday in the Dan Cable Presents feed. And like I said, appreciate the fuck out of all of you for continuing to uh, tune into this thing for you longtime listeners wild to be 284 episodes into this thing and to be planning for episode 300 sometime here in March I guess is uh it's a trip and I'm super grateful to uh to be doing what I'm doing big thanks again to Alex for taking the time to to chat with me and uh we're gonna get into this thing all the links for college level will be in those episode notes we're gonna kick off episode 284 with a track from that brand new college level album this is one of my favorite tunes on that new record and it's called piss drunk friends let's do the damn thing About something along the lines of intoxicated crimes Time spent was always so bashful Like a clear liquid that's keeping your glass Well, don't forget about the dimes in your pocket Gotta pay your own way sometimes Do so, Alex. Ready. I'm uh, stoked to have the opportunity to chat with you. I was uh, college level is definitely one of the bands that that stuck out to me in the lineup when I was going through all the the music that was going to be at Treefort. Thanks. Really dug the tunes from the get go and and kind of familiarized myself with with all of it before I got here, and then right eventually got to see you all play last night, which was uh, very cool. Seems like a high energy. Just good time Danceable. type of show, yep. which is really cool because I think, uh, and we'll we'll get into it a bit as far as the the actual songwriting. But I think if Taylor is is the lyric writer, also I feel like mm-hmm. some of the the lyrics can be heavy hearted and, and <laughs> dark at times. But yeah. <laughs> uh, put down with the the energy that you bring to the live show, it still feels. Like a party, so it's Happy. a cool juxtaposition between those two things yep. of you know, the the music being energetic and uh-huh.
1: and these uh, these kind of downer
0: lyrics at yep. times.
1: Super high energy, sad boy. Um, that's something we noticed kind of early on as well. Um, a lot of our lyrics kind of in the beginning, and and it, it all kind of comes out of things that we're going through. And it's been a lot of breakups and a lot of drama and stuff that's not not particularly uh happy but that comes out in the lyrics but we tend to gravitate towards indie pop high energy indie rock um so it is kind of an interesting contrast between like happy sounding uh music as far as the instrumentals go yeah and then the lyrics tend to be a bummer sometimes yeah we're (laughs) totally up my alley like these are the these are
0: the bands that that i love (laughs) yeah yeah definitely and for you personally have you always been pretty comfortable playing music on stage because it looks like during that live show you are a big catalyst for this uh this high energy and you, you look like you are the the one kind of uh infecting the crowd with this sort of this this feel good let's party energy
1: yeah definitely i mean that's kind of what it is big party uh i am familiar playing music in front of people i don't really get nervous anymore which is nice um so i grew up playing classical guitar in middle school high school so i was playing like bach in a tuxedo on stage in front of (laughs) hundreds of people in high school. So it's not really something that I'm uncomfortable with anymore, but this is definitely a different vibe. Um, As far as crowd engagement, you don't really do that in that setting. Right. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but definitely big party vibes. And it's, yeah, it's something I'm comfortable with. It's kind of like you get to just let loose a little bit and, and be a different person for a few. So, yeah. I also just kind of got the,
0: got the feeling that you know, with the heavy-heartedness of the lyrics and maybe some of the, the material there, it, it felt like you guys don't take yourselves too seriously. No. Yeah. You know? No. Which is not also at all. nice to see. Not at all. Like in a, in a, the best of ways. Yeah, you know? it's
1: a fine line between being professional and taking it seriously, and like, you know, giving ourselves every opportunity possible. But when it's on stage, like. From what we've noticed through trial and error of playing a bunch of shows that you know we're we're weird people generally like you watch the good for you that's that's pretty clear that's who we are as people and like it we're better at doing that on stage than we are at trying to like put on some stage persona and act like different people like we're just goofy all the time and it comes across better if we just do that on stage it's more authentic we're better at being who we actually are yeah than anything else so it's been a it's been a good amount of time of figuring out like what our stage presence is and who we want to be on stage and it's kind of always just come back to who we are as people we're the same way yeah
0: when we hang out as a group Because it looks like it looks like fun it doesn't come across as you guys don't give a shit that right. you're playing this show right yeah you know.
1: Yeah, it's definitely fun. I mean, a few drinks and we we kind of like <laughs> let our cares down a little bit. You know, if we mess some stuff up, I mean, that's part of live music too. You mess some notes up, and you know, that kind of stuff slides. Yeah, in a live setting, you, know, you can get away with more.
0: And, uh, then, and there's some, you know, there's some rock and roll moments to to the show. Like mm-hmm. last night when the last song when you come in down to the crowd yeah. and whatnot. That was one of my my favorite moments of the uh, festival thus far, just because thank there was you. such a cool. Circle of people around
1: you and it was just very very rad to watch. Thanks. It's a good venue for that It's not what I really like is it's like the stage isn't too high and it's kind of weird Like I don't know if if people really consider a whole lot of that But like so we play a lot of house shows where we're like on the ground level with people and I prefer that because it's it doesn't detach us from the crowd too much because we rely so much on the crowd so much like We've played shows in parks where people are a football field away from us and sitting there, and it's so hard to, like, get energy going. And, yeah, and there's no like, way to connect. There's, there's no way anything. to, like, engage with anybody. You can't see anybody face-to-face. And, like, house shows are the opposite, where people are right on top of you, packed in, and the energy in that room is so much different. And that's kind of where we, where we land. That's when we play better. And Mardi Gras was really good for that. You know, the stage was lower. So we're more on a personal basis with people. We can jump off the stage if we need to. and There's no barrier. People are no, right there on top of the stage with you. That's exactly how I like it. And uh, I actually, in my head, I, so I've never like crowd surfed during a show. And I was like, tree fort is going to be the first time I do it. And then y- you need enough people to do it. And I'm like, <laughs> that's where the higher stage is beneficial. Is useful. It's <laughs> useful. It would have taken a big jump, but I was ready to do it. But it does depend on how many people are there, and it didn't feel like it was going to work that time. So the next best thing is coming into the crowd and jumping around a little bit. But, yeah, no, it was a great time. Talk to
0: me about how college-level formed. I know you all are based here in Boise. Mm -hmm. You Um, personally are from Vegas.
1: I'm from Las Vegas. Um, So way back when, uh, my sister was dating Taylor years and years ago, and that's how I met Taylor. And then I moved out here four years ago from Las Vegas, doing a bunch of dumb stuff I didn't care about. It's going to college, and screw that.
0: Did you move out here to go to college? No, I moved. Okay. I
1: dropped out and then moved out okay. here. I dropped out, quit my job, sold all my stuff in like a two-week span, and moved out here. And got was, some
0: jobs. What was your gravitation towards Boise?
1: Uh, mostly my sister and Taylor having okay. some people here. One of my high school best friends, Keegan, was here. Um, I had some people, and it was like a nice fresh start. But uh, I moved out in November 2017 and Taylor and I started jamming in 2018 and I didn't really have any intention of starting a band. I came out here to do photography and Taylor and I just kind of were hanging out at a Christmas party, getting drunk one night and took some guitars out and jammed. He had a thing going with a buddy of his where he was playing some music at like coffee shops and stuff, a drummer of his. And uh, he basically was bringing me songs he had already written for a long time and I was just adding lead onto it and just trying to supplement it and then it pretty quickly turned into writing our own stuff that was through like the spring and then I moved in with Joel our drummer in May and he had never played drums before oh May. no way no never he played piano
0: so that that's just him four years like he three has, years or he so he is like
1: prodigy I don't understand how he does it because I sit at a drum kit and I am useless I it is so hard it's crazy how, instrument.
0: yeah, it's crazy how certain instruments like speak to each other. Because you said he's a keys player yep. naturally, so like jumping on the drums, you still get the rhythmic elements,
1: I guess. Yeah, to it. But
0: well, he was it just really good. So
1: different. It's <laughs> very different. It's very different. And it's funny because like I can separate ten fingers and do ten different things with ten fingers, but I can't separate four limbs. It's insane. It's such a hard instrument. But we uh, set up a studio in our garage with like. He had sonar, the the DAW, and we were just like throwing MIDI stuff on top of uh, songs that we had written. And looking back, it was probably really bad. <laughs> I kind of, I wish we could find it and listen back. Um, but he was really good at MIDI drumming. Like he could just like throw MIDI patterns down, like right on beat. I was like, damn, this, this dude's got like good rhythm. I'm sure you could do drums well. And we had an opportunity to play at the mode. Um, they were like, we're going to pay $200 a night every Wednesday if you want to come play music. And we were like, hell yeah. And we got the gig, but realized we had one song. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's not going to work. So I was like, maybe we could just throw some stuff together super quick, but, and maybe you could just like light drums in the back, just something simple, kick snare hat. So we grabbed a Astro drum kit off Facebook marketplace, like on the way back from a concert in Salt Lake. And then I kind of was, like, figure it out quick, bro. Like, <laughs> we got to move. And it, he in, like, a week, it was, like, big drums, rock band. Like, it, it went from, like, jamming with buddies to, like, a band in about a week. And then we, like, suddenly had a bigger footprint and a bigger vibe that it wouldn't have even worked anyways. So that's kind of where I started taking shape. And then Jared, our bassist, I worked with at uh, a restaurant. And brought him in in, I think, July of 2018. Yeah. Did you in, uh, did
0: you gravitate towards Taylor's songwriting pretty early on? Yeah. When you I first mean, started hearing what he. Yeah. Tunes? So he
1: has like a really big folk background. So he had kind of folky sort of stuff. Uh, he listens to a lot of bands like. I know he listens to like Pine Grove. He loves Peach Pit, which is more indie rock. But he's got a lot of like Gregory Alan Isakov is a big influence of his which is like super soft mellow yeah. um so a lot of that stuff showed up and
0: yeah i think you can hear his vocal delivery kind of change from those that initial ep of of gosh and maybe has some of that that more low key vibe to it. He's still very like smooth and got this R&B feel to it at times on on some of those uh those early tracks and and it seems like as the as time has gone on he's uh, definitely changed the the approach a little bit. But the uh, the smoothness and his his melodies are still still there and they're killer. You say that life is a joke. Sneak back just to light up the smoke crowds will be taking you home tonight the drunks will be driving you home tonight quick on your feet you got nothing to lose charm is a weapon and your mind is abusing. There's one in the chamber and you're gripping it tight one in the chamber and your knuckles are white and she's staying
1: He is ridiculously talented. I don't think he gives himself enough credit for how talented he is. Um, Like he's self-taught guitar. He uh, never took any lessons or anything. And like I came from a classical background where I took a lot of lessons. And a lot of what our writing process has looked like is like I'll find a guitar melody, I'll find chords and I'll bring him the chords. But he was used to like major chords. He was used to pretty standard chords that somebody who's self-taught would learn. And I was bringing him, like, weird stuff that his fingers had not done before and was not used to. And was like, figure it out, bro. (laughs) (laughs) And in the beginning process, it took him a long time to learn the new stuff, learn new chords that were different for him. And now, like, I'll bring him weird chords and he has it down in 10 minutes. Like, I don't think he realizes how much he's grown as a guitarist over the last few years, but he is insanely good. Um, a lot of times now he's writing his own parts with weird chords that I showed him years ago and um, it's Single tier I'm so proud <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's rad
0: when you know your fellow bandmates influence your mm-hmm. your style and and uh, When people can bring different things out of you mm-hmm. for sure
1: 100% and guitar wise we've definitely done that for each other um, I think my lead style has been pretty consistent since the beginning like I've been listening to the same music since the beginning I don't really change my music taste a whole lot. But, like, Hippocampus, Peach Pit, Greeting Committee, uh, big Dayglo, big influences of mine. So it's all kind of that indie pop, catchy kind of stuff that I've always leaned towards. Um, But, yeah, we all have very different tastes. It almost doesn't make sense. It shouldn't make sense. Um, Like, Jared listens to Muse and Rage Against the Machine and, like, heavy stuff. Joel listens to a lot of hip-hop and, like, musical theater. (laughs) And Taylor and I are pretty similar music taste wise, but the fact that we found this weird little place where it actually all works is actually ridiculous. Yeah,
0: and, and maybe that attributes to what the college level sound is, that yeah. that it doesn't all come from the the same influence. Yeah,
1: you find something new, it kind of everyone's pulling on the sound its own way. Typically, like Taylor and I will create the backbone of the skeleton of the song, we'll write it and get it arranged loosely. And then we'll bring it to the other guys and then add their parts. And, you know, Joel will tug on it in his way. Jared will tug on it in his way. And we land in this little area that I don't really, I can't think of a whole lot of bands that we sound a whole lot like, which is good. Yeah. I really want to.
0: It's kind of one of those things where when I'm listening to the music, I feel like it sounds like other things, but I can't put my finger on what it actually is. Yep. I just know that I really, I really like it and yep. I want to keep listening to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a mosh posh of different influences and things that that don't really make sense together, but somehow have created this thing that has its own sound. And that's how I prefer it. I don't really want to sound exactly like anybody else. I don't want to do something that's been done a billion times.
0: Yeah. So. Is there uh, is there a lot of passing music back and forth to one another and turning each other onto different bands. different different tunes? Then
1: yeah, all the time. Um, like Jared. Jared loves a greeting committee um, which he hadn't heard of I think I showed him greeting committee and he loves that band and he's very like heavy music and they're not that at all but he loves them it's you know a lot of a lot of interchanging bands and for sure sending each other stuff so what's
0: like when you're actually laying down tracks in the studio or for you know recorded material are, are songs often shifting in that moment from like what those initial ideas were once everybody kind of gets their, their hands on it? Mm-hmm. You got stuff that's sounding a lot different than those initial ideas.
1: I think Desi is the biggest uh, example of that. So none of the backing tracks, there's like keys in there, there's horns in there, and there's lots of pads. None of that was there until the day of recording. Um, so that was on the good for UEP where we drove down to LA and all we had was my guitar, bass, and drums and vocals. That's all that we had going into there. Uh, we worked with Stefan Mack, who's uh, worked with like, Wallows and No Vacation, Young the Giant, and uh, a lot of that was just trying a bunch of weird stuff in the studio the day of recording and putting it down and keeping it. Um, so that one changed a lot, but this new album that we're releasing, I think should be next month, things happen we're trying for next month um but that one we had written everything instrumentally but we wanted to add pads we wanted to add synths we wanted to add all these extra layers um the way that we did that was we we recorded everything in my house um for the entire album but basically we would take we did demo versions of the whole album at my house and i just threw them into a DAW and then we were just like basically doing all the creative decision making in the demo version of it. So we would put synths down, background vocals, try a bunch of different stuff in the demo, and then splicing it, cutting it, moving it, rearranging it, and then once we had the final product, we were like, great, this is the song. And then we would open a new session and just replicate everything, but get it perfect, get the tone dialed in, get everything, all the takes on time, get everything perfect, and then a lot of the tracks we took directly from the demo, if we liked it and moved it over. Yeah. Um, but we did that with the whole album. It's been a year now that we've been Semi, demoing, huh? demoing, changing, moving, adjusting. Um, it's exhausting. It's a lot of work. I'm pretty ready for that album to come out. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> okay. ready to stop. But you all, do you also feel like, since so much
0: time has gone into it, that you feel like it's dialed in exactly... Where you want it to be, or is it? Or is there kind of always this feeling that you always want to make small tweaks yeah, after something is it, out? And you're it's
1: all... one of those things where eventually you have to just say this is done now. Um, it's it's something I didn't understand until writing my own music that like like I hear music from other bands and I'm like this is perfect. They couldn't have done this any better. But if you ask that band, I guarantee every one of them are like, oh, this is we could have done yeah, this. Man. We could have messed with like you are your own worst critic and I will always have things listening to the music that I'm like, we could have done that better. We could have changed that. Like this didn't come out exactly the way we wanted it, but like other people who are listening to it don't know that and they connect with it and they love it. So like it's, it's something that we need to accept. It's an us thing. It's really no one else knows. Yeah. It's very
0: fucking hard to not hear those things in your, your own Projects. I mean, yeah. even listening back to to podcasts of mine, sometimes I'm just mm-hmm. like, why didn't I didn't why didn't I go there? Why didn't I ask that question? But anybody
1: listening up? is like, that was a great that was a great episode. <laughs> yeah. they have no idea.
0: No one else pays attention to yeah, the no things idea. that you pay attention to, mm-hmm. and I and mean, I
1: think that's artist wide. That's like a painter will look at a painting and be like, I could have changed that. Yeah, it's, and and no one else is aware of that side of things. But once you start creating stuff, you do see that all the time. Um but yeah, it's it's an ever evolving process. It's going to be different each time and, you know, the best we can do is keep trying to hone in our style and find something that sounds like us and find stuff we love and excited about. Yeah. So. And
0: it and it does sound like it's evolving with each release, you know, from the from the Goshi EP to the the good for you set of 100%. set of tunes to the new stuff that's coming out now, and the 100%. the tunes that you've been sitting on, it feels like each one is this next step. But the the songwriting was clearly there from the beginning of it. yes nice. I, I see what you you all were excited about from yep. from the beginning with the with yep. the tunes.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things I've learned the most through this process is like. Working quickly and not, not messing with it for too long, actually, I think is, is a good move. Because, gosh, we didn't really mess with it super long. Good for UEP. We had the songs for a little while. But once they went in the studio, it was like, crank it out, get it done, call it finished. And you, this time, we've, I think we've had too much time, almost, to mess with it and overthink. And it's kind of, I think, in the future, a better move to just, like, eventually you got to call it finished. And finishing songs is so much harder than it sounds, and calling it like this is done now. Yeah, that's you, hard.
0: You almost need like a deadline for I mean, it. Exactly, to just be like, that's no, a great we idea. We can't do this anymore, and these are the that's time great constraints idea. that we have. I've
1: seen a lot of videos on YouTube, which I really like, uh, where people are like, "All right, I'm putting an hour on the clock, and I'm writing a song in an hour." Oh, th- those videos are and, really great. And it doesn't give you like you can sit there and EQ a kick for three days if you want to. But It's probably not even gonna be as good as it was in the beginning Like at some point you're just you're fucking it up. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not good anymore. So like it, It's a fine line between giving yourself enough time to make sure you explore all the options and Not messing with it to the point where you're ruining it um, a lot of times the best takes come in the first few takes when you're feeling that in that time and if you're trying to Replicate that later you can't replicate that feeling if you're not in that anymore Um. So it's kind of capturing that inspiration when it happens, get it down, get it to where you're happy with it, and then stop, (laughs) stop messing with it. Are some of you better at doing that than others within the band? Yeah, no, I'm terrible. I'm the worst one. I'm the worst one. I'm (laughs) like, what if we try this? And Jared has been the one that's like, this is done. This is done. (laughs) You know, we've gotten in a lot of arguments about it where, you know, there's been times where, where... he was absolutely right we should have stopped messing with it and there's times where we found things after that that were really good and i'm like we can't just call it done but if it's not you know but there's a lot of times where he's absolutely right and and he's ahead of the game and he knows so yeah that happens a lot
0: does everybody participate pretty heavy in the mixing or what what's you know what the songs are actually going to sound like Mm -hmm. with the finished product
1: yeah so anytime we're tossing around uh a lot of times, like I'm, I have the dot my house. So we've been demoing out, and we've been, I we did all the recordings, uh, all the guitar recordings, all the bass recordings, synth recordings at my house. Vocals and drums were at Joel's house, um, and then we're mixing with a guy in the UK right now. So we've been sending him Dropbox stems. So for he gets a all while. the emails with the with the notes for it's all been of the mixes. of hundreds <laughs> of emails with him for different mixes and adjustments and notes. Um, And anytime anything is just about done, it goes through all of us. You know, if there's little notes that obviously I know the other guys are going to give, I'll give those notes ahead of time. But anytime it's like, this could be the finished product that goes through all of us. And then we all give notes and send them back. And we all have to unanimously agree on the music before we put that out. That's one of the things we can't, one person can't have more input than another. And that's the music we put out. That's a choice for all of us. Well
0: that's how you like create the uh, no one's bigger than the, the band mentality, I think. Yeah.
1: No and, and that's one hundred percent how we've been. This is not anybody's specific band. Like this is all of our band and all of us have an equal weight in the decision making in this band and, and nothing as far as like merch that comes out or shows or the music like does not go through all four of us. It always it has to be unanimous. That's kinda something we set up from the beginning especially the music like that's the product we're doing that's what we do yeah like that can't no one's making any executive decisions on that
0: must be nice having the uh the home recording setup just so that you Mm -hmm. can explore all of the ideas that you really want to explore without being on the clock of a studio yes is uh is that something you got interested in pretty early as far as figuring out how to do your own recordings and do do the engineering side of things yeah
1: personally i want to learn to mix i want to learn to produce i would love to be that for other bands i remember the feeling when we uh when we had gosh because gosh was our first time that we had any recordings done and we were playing in the garage and we're like this sounds cool but the first time you hear a mixed version of your song yeah it gives you butterflies and it feels amazing so i want to be that for other bands i want to be able to give like up and coming bands that feeling of of hearing their stuff for the first time um so i've been teaching myself mixing and engineering and producing and um i've learned a lot i've been doing it for about a year um i have a long way to go (laughs) for sure but as far as recording our own stuff it is nice having that access to just trying a bunch of different stuff in our house because gosh we did five songs in two days you don't have any time to go through anything it's like you have the bare minimum amount of time to put the tracks that you already have down. Yeah, maybe, and there's definitely no time to go through and and try new things. And good for you, we had three songs in five days, which was better. We had time to explore some stuff, but still, you're on the clock in the studio, and you know, it it's not really relaxing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. it's kind of like go go go. Got to got to put stuff down and optimize all the time you have. Um, you kind but of hear time.
0: that energy i feel like even like throughout the different recordings with gosh with the song like headspace and you kind of feel like the looseness to it and that you know you you were uh, just getting it done and but it but it has that uh i don't know it feels like the feel is there and the, the energy was captured in the recordings and that's the most important part and then as we now we now we're hearing the the production like really evolving and you're talking about like throwing pads on things and since
1: and- It makes such a big difference. It like really fills stuff out. I, I really wish, I mean we didn't even know what a pad was going into Gosh, Like that was not a thing that we knew existed. You could only look me over. You were young and on my shoulder. I
0: Just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 pub located in the alphabet district of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Muscles and Fritz are on the menu. Their cheeseburger is lights out and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some
1: tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. You know, GOSH, all the things on GOSH are what comes out of our instruments. Uh, there was no additional stuff. There was a couple background vocals. But um, Good For You, we started really exploring that stuff a little bit more, which was awesome. Stefan is a genius with that stuff. Um, and then we lear- what we learned from Good For You, we were able to take those concepts and, and apply them to this song. Like, Stefan did a really good job with tightening up the songs for us, like Problem Child. Initially the way we play Problem Child live was the way that we initially pitched it to him to release it. There's like a minute and a half intro on that song and he was like, "Uh-uh. 15 seconds. <laughs> he was like like people are going to skip this song before the vocals even start cuz for the listener when the vocals start that's when the song starts. Like if like you got to get to the point quickly. So we learned a lot about like we have like these like proggy instrumental things that we do all the time and then they tend to last a minute and we're like okay we should cut that down
0: figure out how to trim the fat so
1: stefan produced that that good for you yep he did everything on that so we did as well yep so he did pre-production we sent him all the tracks and he would be like which pre-production if anybody skips that's the most important part Of the entire process and I stand by that the pre-production before you even go into the studio especially if you are paying for studio time right yeah yeah (laughs) it's it's huge and we did so we did pre-production on this album with Harley small um, in Canada he's worked with peach pit he did peach pits first album Um, I just DM'd him on Instagram and linked up and
0: it's so cool when people like that that you respect and have worked with other people that you really Mm -hmm. think actually just respond to you very accessible and uh dig what you're doing harley is such a cool guy (laughs) we
1: did a bunch of zoom meetings with him and we did all the pre-production pre-production for any band that's coming up do not overlook that because the song that when when you're writing a song you kind of live in a bubble with that song like you don't really know what sounds bad or what sounds good because it's what you've known you've played for a long time um which we have had that problem a lot but once you give it to somebody who's got a good ear for it and a fresh perspective and hasn't heard the song before, they could be like, yo, this part's way too long. This part is not working. Take this riff and put it over this and move it over and cut this in half. And then take this part, put it on the end and cut that in half and then put this riff over this. And then we're like, oh, okay. And we do it and it sounds a million times better. Yeah. It's, that fresh perspective is huge. So like outsourcing for that is super important and finding some people you trust that have a good ear for it that can tell you yeah and not having your feelings hurt that's the big thing right it's
0: like getting over the the ego part is when you have that outside producer and actually listening to mm-hmm. what they're saying because they they have different ears they're not they're not wrapped up in the project and
1: it's like you go ear blind to music so fast we've i mean we have a song on this new album called like a dream that i think we wrote in the beginning of 2018 it has been years and we cannot hear that song the way that you would hear that song it it sounds different to us like it almost just sounds like noise now it doesn't sound like a song anymore so it's super important to give that to somebody else and trust their perspective on it and make those changes and let it it's hard you you hold on to it and you have this like like nostalgic factor of the way that the song was when you first wrote it And letting go of that and allowing it to move and change and become something different is difficult, but important. Um, But yeah, the whole pre-production phase, we did that. Stefan did that with the Good For You EP. He was like, problem child, cut that intro down by 90%, please, thanks. And cut it down, move things around. And it just it ends up so much more tight, and then you have a product that's ready to go in the studio, where you don't have to make those changes in the studio and cut into that time. You can explore pads, you can explore synths, you can explore background vocals. You're not taking time doing stuff that should have been done ahead of time, right. anyways. Yeah. So. And it's nice that, nice that
0: you can carry that forward too. Like and you can hear Stefan's voice in your head now mm-hmm. when you are doing those minute-long prog intros and realizing that. Yep all right, maybe this doesn't belong on the actual record, or maybe there is room for this interlude track,
1: you know? Yep. Yeah, we do a lot of it. The attention span's bigger live, so we take a lot of the original way we played things, we'll play it live like that. Um, But as far as the record, like there is a difference between a record version and a live version. Yeah. And there's things that we'll be like, okay, this is cool for live. Let's take it out of the record and tighten it up a little bit more. Yeah. But yeah, the things that we, I I still have Stefan's voice in my ear saying that intro is way too long when we're writing this new stuff. (laughs) I'm like, let's get to the point, guys. Um, But yeah, Harley was really good for that on this album too, moving things around, helping us out uh, with, with arranging everything. And that way, when we went into demoing it, we had the arranged version. We would basically take those demos. We'd be adding pads as we did it. We'd send it to him and move things around. And then once we had it all locked in and he was like, you're good to go. Then we just started new sessions, recorded everything on our own, and then sent everything over to James in the UK. Um, but it expedites the process a lot rather than having to do that in the studio. Yeah,
0: you know, Couch is definitely one of uh, my favorite tunes. It's my uh, favorite, and uh, yeah, Taylor's vocal delivery on that one and just absolutely kills with the, and and especially it with the rhythm of the the guitar riff. And uh, This is
1: my baby. I love that song.
0: That that's a that's a killer jam and uh, I think is is like one of those noticeable differences of you know where things started with the gosh stuff to to where you're at now with the music. I'm sticking pins and anxious Stomach sick on the flight home wasted Make it in by Tuesday morning A blurry picture for the sake of proven cloud You know that it's never and putting the the tunes down in the studio, are you guys already thinking about how this will translate live? Or is it like, let's just record the best possible song we can and then we'll figure it
1: out however it will be played live? I think it's the opposite way. Um, I think we figure out the live version first and then figure out how to tighten it on the record. Okay. Um, For the most part, the way that we originally write the song we tend to write the long intros. We tend to write the proggy interludes in the, begin- in the middles of the songs. That stuff works live, but not on a record. So we tend to write the song that way from the beginning. And then when we go into record, figure out where we have to cut rather than figuring out. I mean, th- there are elements as well where we're like, oh, this part's really cool live. Maybe we should extend this eight bars or do this twice as long live because it's high energy and it's going to go quick live. There's times where we'll extend stuff. But for the most part, we have the live version pretty much from the get and then trim the fat on the record. Do you feel like that changes the way you then play it live later after it's on the record, too? Yeah, so we changed the way that we play live. We're running in your monitors now. Um, We're playing to a click, all those pads, all those extra synths, the things that make sense to have live. We have those running backing tracks through the monitors as well, or through the front of house, so that's mixed in. Um, But a lot of times right now, that's kind of confining us to playing what's on the record live as well. Gotcha. Because we're playing it to a click. All those pads that are in the record are being translated into a live session that we're playing live. So if we want to extend anything, we have to take those tracks that we put on the record and cut them and extend them. And we have to plan for those extensions. We can't really just feel it out um, and let it go the way it naturally feels like it wants to go. Uh, We kind of have to plan every piece of the song
0: yeah. every little bit of the set. Yeah so if you're going to play like Kona Bug and you want to have the cool ad libs with the space bar stuff yep. going on at the end yep, you can just trigger those in. We
1: have to trigger it. We have to plan for it.
0: I, I love that that part of, the, of that track. Like that I was, think that just like gives it cool, cool character to so throw something funny. in there.
1: It's so funny the way that that happened when we were recording it. That was in the demo process where we were just like messing with stuff um, and Taylor Taylor is a funny dude. And a lot of times when he has a mic in front of him, he'll just be saying weird stuff all the time. So I'll just, (laughs) like, start the recording and let it go and pretend like it's not recording and just let him talk. And he, when we were doing the demo for that song, he saw that I was recording while he was talking, and he was getting mad at me. And the space bar is what you hit to stop the recording. (laughs) So the whole time where he's saying, press the space bar. He was like, stop (laughs) recording me. Like, stop trying to get me saying weird shit on a microphone. But when the beat was still going in our head and he was like, press the space bar, like right on beat. And I'm like, ooh. (laughs) Keeping that. Keep going. And he's like, space bar, press the space bar. It was like right on beat. It was perfect. So I'm like, okay, come on, keep that one. Crop that in somewhere at the end.
0: that are just, like, constantly giving each other shit and rising uh, each yeah. other. And mm-hmm. That's a big part of yeah. the, the dynamic between you all.
1: Yeah, it's uh <laughs> mean sometimes. <laughs> we gotta be nice to each other. <laughs> but, yeah, we're giving each other a lot of shit all the time. <laughs>
0: but we know. As far as the, the lyrics, is that is that strictly Taylor? Or is it, like, shared when he gets close to finishing something? Will he ever, like ask you or someone else in the band to to help finish off a line or just their input on something? Um,
1: It's it's started to change more to something Taylor's doing pretty much exclusively. Uh, Gosh. Uh, Headspace, I wrote most of the lyrics. Um, Telephone Wire was Taylor. Valley Quality was Taylor. Coming Back to Me was a combination of both of us. Small Talk, I wrote the whole first verse and then Taylor wrote the whole second verse about completely different things. That's it's and cool it that those things somehow, somehow
0: work together too. Yeah. And like, that's, I don't know. That's the rad thing about lyrics is it, it doesn't have yeah. to, uh, each piece doesn't have to make sense. You, I, I feel like I always thought it did nope. early on and it nope. like needed to tell this th- through line story. And, nope. and it's just like, I don't know, man, life, life and thoughts don't really happen like that. So no, it's not <laughs> linear. It's all over the place. Yeah.
1: Um, it's, we, we've we had a lot of conversations about like how seriously do we want to take the lyrics like there's some songs where We don't want to care. We're just gonna s- sing weird stuff. And then there's some songs where we care a lot um, It's been a lot of actually reevaluating like do we want to be goofier, which I want to be goofier That's kind of what my MO is <laughs> uh, I want to be weird, but It's been a lot of changing of like do we want to take this very seriously and be really thoughtful and be really conscious of what the lyrics are? Or do we want to just let them be what they are and not read too far into it? A lot of times they're pretty open for interpretation, which is nice. Like small talk. I wrote the whole first verse about a prostitute and then he wrote the whole second verse about anxiety. They don't make any (laughs) sense together. I guess they work. I don't know. Um, But we did not, we didn't talk about that (laughs) we just I wrote the first verse and then he wrote the second one we didn't exchange what our thought processes were (laughs) on it we just wrote them and mashed them together Um, as far as the new stuff goes Taylor's been writing a massive majority of those Um, but a lot of times he will give me the lyrics later and I'll be like I don't like that I don't like that I don't like that change these everything else is sick and then he'll change those but for the most part, since the beginning, Taylor and I have kind of been the lyrics, mostly Taylor. But I help with some of them. Desi, I wrote entirely. Um, but yeah, pretty much everything else was mostly Taylor, but both of us. How do you feel like your uh,
0: your classical training kind of informs what you're doing now?
1: Uh, a lot, a lot, because I don't have uh, the attention span to play things that are very simple. Really? Like, I I just naturally play, like, more intricate stuff, which limits me in being able to contribute background vocals-wise because my brain can't do both of these (laughs) things at the same time. It's like my hands are doing one melody. My brain is not going to do the other one. Um, So that I could be better about. I could be better about writing something that fits in well but still allows me to contribute in other ways. Um, But, yeah, I tend to just write more complicated stuff because that's what I grew up playing and that's what I know better you know chords don't really uh, keep me occupied it kind of bores me after a little while and I try to find something that's a little more interesting that I can fill into it but it is a fine line between like does this song need that does right. this song need a complicated lead riff or should I just shut up you know sometimes sometimes I need to not play sometimes the answer is do nothing at all leave space Yes. Sometimes the answer is uh, put my tuner on and not play anything. And I need to be better about that as for well. For sure. But everything has its role. Everything fits in in a specific way. Um, there's sometimes that the drums need to be very simple, and Joel will probably be bored. There's times where the bass needs to be more simple, and Jared will probably be bored, and that applies to me as well. Yeah. So and sometimes, sometimes
0: Jared is just going all in and shredding on yeah, the
1: bass. Like a dream. Look out for that one. Jared goes,
0: do I slow
1: down to Do
0: To hear the the rest of the songs, man. I'm really pumped that I got to see you all play live shows. It was really great and I just I just dig all of the, the college level music and pumped that I got the opportunity to chat it up with you and find out more about the the band and uh, I'll definitely put all the links in the episode notes so people can keep up with you and and look out for this new record and check out all the stuff that's already available on all the the streaming services. I want to play it out with the newest single that's available, which is easy, so people can uh, can check that one out. And we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is "It's a program." So if we could get the uh, It's a program. You're already doing it. It's a program. That's uh, that's Alex from. That's me. College level, doing the thing from here in in Boise. Hanging out at Tree Fort—is this uh, the first time you've had the opportunity to play Tree Fort? Yes,
1: yes, first Tree Fort. Hopefully, first of many.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is uh, a big deal if you're a local Boise band to it actually is. get to play this festival with so many different people coming in and bands coming in from
1: all over the place. It is very it's cool. It's a dream. Right on. Did not expect that. We've been going to Tree Fort before we were a band, and it's a very strange experience playing it.
0: Hell yeah! Well, this is my first Tree Fort as well, so it's been... happy Tree Fort. It's been rad. And uh, we're playing it out with easy from college level. Check out their tunes. That's the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, Boise, Treefort, wherever you are listening from. Convince that I'm more than just a little shut in. So threatened by a smile. Your games
1: and your grin. I know it took a while to call It meant nothing.
0: DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to DistroKid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that DistroKid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with DistroKid, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that and the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to Distro Kid. Stay up, stay tuned.